It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. We'd spent the day driving along South Africa's beautiful, stunning, gorgeous uh, garden route. By night, we needed to make it to the city of Port Elizabeth. But there was a stop along the way that my friend was absolutely desperate for us to make. Perched high over the Blau Crowns River, 700 feet up, is a road bridge. Very architecturally beautiful, no doubt in its own respect, but it's well known more for something else. It is the home of the world's biggest bungee jump. I have literally no idea to this day why I said yes, but I found myself walking out under this road bridge on a metal corrugated platform, looking down past my feet to a river snaking in the distance below me. We got to this concrete platform where I was sat down, my legs were strapped together, and I was carried to the side of the bridge. Three, two, one, and you just jump off the side of this massive bridge. There's this moment you have where you think, oh my goodness, in fact, it's much ruder than that, what have I just done? But before you can even process that emotion, you realize you're flying, you're falling, you're waiting for the tight bungee cord that's wrapped around your feet to pull back, to hold you, to stop you before you slam into the river below you. Today we are thinking about the concepts of faith and the concepts of fear. Two concepts which in our life are radically and different to one another. They are opposed but often present themselves to us in a moment, in a time, in a space. One of the concepts leads to life, it leads to adventure, it leads to trust, it leads to blessing, and the other one, as we're going to see this morning, can lead to pain, lead to suffering, and in fact, it can even lead to death. This morning, we're going to talk about the kingdom of light, a kingdom of faith. So let's get our passage, which is going to be read this morning from Luke chapter 8. Hi, my name is Drew Bell, and I'm reading today on behalf of myself and my wife, Jenny, who's working as an essential worker. Please join me in Luke 8, 22 to 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. Fear and faith. So what is fear? What is faith? Well, fear, if you read the dictionary, is something like this. Fear is an adaptive response that serves to mobilize energy to deal with potential threat in the presence of danger. However, when threat is uncertain or continuous, fear can become chronic and burdensome. So fear, when it's correctly used, is the mechanism that is there in our life to protect us. It is a flight mechanism. When we see something that is dangerous, it tells us to turn the other way and run. So fear, when it stops us walking out in front of traffic, when it tells us to flee from an extremely dangerous situation and a moment is necessary in our life. But when fear gets out of control in our life, when it beds in, when it becomes our everyday reality, 
actually paralyzes us. It holds us back. It causes anxiety. And actually, it can cause us to, to lash out in all sorts of different ways. If you've ever seen a child who is fearful, sometimes they can react in anger. They can hit. They can kick out because they are full of fear. And fear, in that ongoing sense, is never God's will for our life. Exactly as I said about shame last week, fear is never God's will. I looked um, up in the Bible very quickly and I found 15 different commandments where we are told as followers of Jesus that we shouldn't fear. But it's all very well to say that, but we all know it's not that simple. So I wanna think with us this morning, how do we deal with fear in our life? Is it that we just try and squash it down, not think about it, go a different direction? Well, what we're gonna see this morning is that fear and faith are like two sides of those old school uh, scales. As one goes down, the other one goes up. And so if we want to see less fear in our life, actually what we need is more faith. So what is faith, right? Well. Again, dictionary. The dictionary will tell you that faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Or if you go to the biblical definition, Hebrews 11, chapter one, faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not see. In a Christian sense, faith is to trust in God. It's to know in the most deep and inmost part of our being that God is gonna look after us that God is gonna support us, that God is gonna protect us and comfort us and be good to us. Where fear looks at the environment around us and goes, help, it's way too much, there's nothing I can do, I better just get out of here. Faith puts a trust in someone who created the very elements, created the universe and says all things are possible. So we wanna be people who grow in faith. And how do we grow in faith? Well, first up, we're told that faith is a gift. It's a gift of God. And a little bit later when we pray and we come towards communion, we're gonna be praying for the gift of faith in all of our lives. But faith is also based on evidence. So I don't know what you're looking forward to most when COVID is finally a thing of the past. I don't know where you're gonna go, the thing that you're missing at the moment. Maybe to go and sit inside a really nice restaurant. You know, you save up all your dollars for this moment. You go into this lovely, nice restaurant. Obviously, if it's a really lovely, nice restaurant, there'll be a French waiter there. Oh, Madame, come and sit here, like that. And you'll look at the chair. And I wonder if you'll have this kind of internal dialogue. I wonder if you'll go, hmm, right, well, that's a chair. It has four metal legs. It's got a wooden construction and some fabric over it. I'm pretty certain that chair is good for, say, 500 pounds. COVID's not been that bad, so I'm going to be good. I bet you won't have that discussion with yourself. Well, unless you've had a really bad COVID or if the chair looks really bad, right? The reason you won't have that discussion with yourself is because all of the evidence inside you, all of your history, all your subconscious tells you that chairs are good. And the reason that they'll tell you that chairs are good is because every time you have sat on a chair for the last number of years of your life, maybe with the odd notable exception, the chair has supported you. 
When you walk into a room and you see the floor, I imagine you probably don't look at it and go, mm, I'm not sure if that is going to hold up my weight, or I wonder if this ceiling is going to fall on my head, or I wonder if the walls are going to fall in. We can't live in that space, and we don't live in that space usually because we have seen evidence from the past about how this has worked out. So when we talk about faith, primarily and first, firstly, we need to realize that faith builds when we trust in what God has done in our lives in the past. Faith builds when we trust what God has done in the past. Right, right in the very early days when Laura and I were just thinking about moving on from the previous church where we'd been uh, for a while, and we didn't really have any sign of sense of where to go and, and what to do, but there was a mental figure who I'd been meeting with once a month for, for quite a while. He was an older pastor. And I went to see him and we just started chatting away about, um, about what I might do next. And at the end of the conversation, he said, well, hey, Ben, there's a, a, there's a role that I would really like you to consider. And I was like, wow, this is easy. I didn't even say I was looking for a job yet or anything like that. And here's a job in front of me. And he went on to describe a job which was a terrible terrible job. I mean, it wasn't like PA to Greg Wellborn. Sorry, sorry, Greg. Complaints to Irene.Wellborn at Vintage Pasadena. Sorry, that's a joke as well. Don't do that. Um, it wasn't that, but it was a job which was just a job that no one was going to thrive in. It was a proper dead-end job. And in the moment, I kind of quietly went, okay, well, all right, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be rude, but no, thank you. I don't think I'll take that job. But when I went home, actually, I was really anxious. I was nervous. I was really like struggling because I suddenly thought, God, I've been in training for 10 years. I've led these churches. I've been doing all this stuff. And, and like, this is it. Like, this is where we're at now. This is the kind of role that you have got for me. This isn't going to support my family. This isn't going to support me. This is not going to lead to blessing in any respect as far as I can see. This is no good. And, and I was just really, really struggling. And as I sat in that kind of dark place for a minute though, I, I heard God just whisper to me. And God just said this, oh, hey Ben, do you, do you remember? Do you remember when you finished seminary and you and I talked about you turning down that job off to stay where you were and to step out into the total unknown and, and you, didn't, you didn't have anything on the table that day? And do you remember the next day when I gave you a couple of different opportunities that were amazing? Do you remember that one? Or do you remember when you were going into seminary and you had no money and you didn't think you were going to be able to financially survive through seminary? And do you remember how I blessed you so much in the end that you actually had to take a whole bunch of money and give it away to other people because you were saving at such a fast rate? Do you remember that? Or do you remember when you were at university in that really unhealthy relationship and, and that relationship ended and we had a conversation and I said to you, hey Ben, maybe it's better if you don't just keep striving after finding a wife and just let me be in charge of your relationships and how I introduced you those months later to Laura. Do you remember that? Of course, when I heard God say that, I had to go, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because if I'm honest, at every point in my life, you have looked after me. You have watched over me. You have been kind and caring to me. And here I am. Faith builds when we look at what God has done in our lives in the past. But it's not just in our own lives. Faith also builds when we think about what God has done in history. Um, I don't know if you recognize this thing. Um, some of you might not have seen one of these before. This is a paper Bible. 
Uh, it's like the app versions, but it's just very slightly heavier uh, than the ones that we have nowadays. This does us so many things, but one of the things this gives to us is this gives us the history of what God has done in the world. When we read about what God did 2,000 years ago, this helps us to understand and know about the kind of God it is who we follow. So we grow in faith when we realize what God has done in our lives, but also what God has done in the world in the past. But we also grow in faith when we know what God is doing in the present moment. Like one of the things I, I so love about being part of a charismatic church is that in, in our charismatic churches, which is a funny word, but it, it basically just means that God is moving in our midst in these moments. One of the things I love about that so much is that we're always asking the question, hey God, what are you doing now? When Linda talked about the premistry team, their role in our church is to really ask the question, hey God, what are you doing now? When we finish our sermons, we almost always stop and we pause and we say, hey Holy Spirit, what do you want to say now? That's why we do prayer. It's why we have worship. It's why we're always asking for good news stories like Isa did last week because we're always wanting to say, hey God, what do you want to say and what are you doing so that we can celebrate it, so that we can know it in our lives. And if you have a good news story, we would love to send Arlene round or we'd love to film you or just hear it or get it read out because as we hear the stories of what God is doing, it builds faith in our lives. When we look to the past and to the present, we start to build faith for what God is going to do in the future. So faith is built on evidence, but faith also starts with Jesus. It's centered around Jesus. Let's just look at this passage for a moment. So there are these fishermen, right? They've grown up around the Lake of Galilee. It's a big lake, freshwater lake. They would have crisscrossed it their whole lives. Many of them had literally grown up in boats. And so they set out to cross over the lake, totally normal part of their days. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And for a while, everything is totally fine, right? They're going, oh yeah, we've got this. This is, we're in our wheelhouse. This is just what we do every day. It's totally fine. And then this storm hits out of nowhere. Now, that part of the world is known for squalls that can come. Uh, Lake Galley is actually 600 feet below sea level, which means that like wind can whip in off the mountains and it can get a bit choppy, but not huge storms. This storm, though, is different. They've not seen anything like this before. But you can imagine just for the first few minutes, they're going like, hey, we're cool. We can do this. We totally got this. Imagine one of them is like trimming the, the rudder so that the boat's pointing into the wind. The other ones are like, like adjusting the sails. Maybe some others are bailing out water that's collecting in the bottom of the boat. It's totally fine. They're okay. But then they get to the point when they realize, oh, no, <laughs> we don't got this anymore. We are in trouble. In fact, we are going to drown. We are going to drown. Then, and only then, did they go to Jesus. And isn't that so often how we treat Jesus in our lives? You know, I'm super task focused. I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, which means that whenever I get to a problem in life, what I immediately do is run at it. The bigger the storm, the more exciting it is. And so I'm just like all in for, for the big mountain that you have to climb or the big storm. And so I put my time into it. I put my energy into it. I do everything I can to be, beat the situation, to be victorious in it. And then there comes a point so often when you get there and you realize, oh no, I can't, 
It's too much. I don't have control or power or resources or whatever I need to fix this. I am drowning. When Jesus says, build your house on a rock, I'm drowning in quicksand. And isn't it funny that like that's the point that we often go to Jesus. We go, Jesus, what are you doing? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. I thought you were going to bless my life. And why aren't you fixing the situation? And Jesus is going, well, I'm just here. Like I've been here the whole time, but you never talked to me. Why have we not had a conversation? I was just literally chilling out in the back of your boat and you never really bothered to come to me. And that's exactly what the disciples do in the story this morning. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're gonna drown. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Such a big question. Where is your faith? In a sense, he's saying, who are you putting your faith in? Are you trying to fix it all on your own? Are you trying to prove how amazing you are? Why did you not come to me at the beginning? Why did you wait to the end? Why, in a sense, didn't you remember what I'd done before? Do you remember like a few weeks ago when you were in the fishing boat and you didn't have any fish and you'd been out all night and I just said, hey, put the fishing nets on the other side of the boat and you caught so much fish that the boat almost went down. Do you remember that one? Or do you remember like how Moses was running away from Pharaoh and he had to cross that massive stretch of water and he didn't know what to do and he put his staff in and he trusted in me and I parted the waves and the water? Do you remember I'm the one who created the elements in the first place? Do you remember that? Instead, they panic, they run. Jesus says, why are you scrabbling around in the dark and not looking at the light? You see, faith means not just going to God when we basically almost drown. It means finding him first. It means starting with God. I I don't know how I'm gonna face today. I don't know how the situation is gonna unfold, but I know that without you, I've got nothing and trusting in God's power. It says, God, I don't have this. You know, when we go to Jesus last or not at all, we will live in fear. When we ignore or forget what God has done in the past of our lives, we will live in fear. But when we celebrate, when we shout from the rooftops or tweet or go on social media for all that God is doing and will do, we remind ourselves that God is good and we live in faith. And when we live in faith, we don't have to be defined by the limitations around us. Faith actually means not being in control, but trusting the one who is in control. In Mark's gospel account of this story, Jesus actually says to the storm, quiet, be still. And of course, what he's saying is he's saying it to the storm, but he's also saying it to the disciples' heart. Quiet, stop. Stop being so anxious. Stop running around so fast. Be still and wait for me. Disengage from the noise of the storm and listen to the voice of the one who is in control. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Faith is based on Jesus. But then finally, faith also transforms the world around us. All uh, summer, we've been asking the question, how do we be part of the kingdom of light? Basically asking the, the question, how do we play our part in God's kingdom in the world? And what we find is that actually as we move to a place of faith, 
in our lives, we start to find our situations, our communities transformed around us. I don't know if you've noticed, there's a, such a lot of fear out in our world at the moment. There's so much fear. Fear about health, fear about the economy, fear about politics, fear about what next week is going to be, fear about race, there's so much fear. And what the world is desperately crying out for is hope and it's faith. The bedrocks of our society feel shaky and what people are looking for is the answer to the question. And even inside the church, there's been this huge debate, right? You know, do we reopen church services? Like, do we put people inside a building again? And I can tell you as a pastor, like I really love seeing people. I would love to see you all again as quickly as I possibly can. But there's so much that we're trying to figure out. And in our call meeting, actually this week, we were praying. We were just discussing this and praying about it. And as we were praying, I just saw this picture of an army an army of light. And when an army goes into a foreign territory, one of the things, the first things the army will do is it sets up a camp, sets up a base of operation, and the camp will contain within it an armory, a hospital, a mess. Inside the army, it trains, it rests, it gets resupplied in order that it can go out and complete the mission for which it's there for. And it just strikes me that at the moment we're spending a lot of our energy and we're asking the question, how do we reopen our camps? In effect, how can we get everybody back inside our four walls so that we can be safe and protected and get on with the thing that we're doing? And it just struck me this week that maybe, just maybe that's the wrong question. Because maybe the question isn't how can we all retreat back inside our camps as quickly as possible away from the scary world, but actually how can we complete the very mission that God has called us to in our streets, in our communities, in our businesses, in our families. Like actually if we have friends who don't know Jesus, we have a mission to complete. If we have people who we know who are suffering and who are sick, we have a mission. If we have friends who are struggling financially, when we have a mission to complete, we have missions that we are called to. And I, I really hope this doesn't sound like overly harsh and please forgive me if you think I'm speaking to you because I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to everyone. Um, we have spent a lot of us so much time inside the camp. We've spent our whole lives being trained. We've spent our whole lives listening to millions and brilliance of sermons. We've just done everything we can and we've hidden away. And actually the thing that we have forgotten, the thing that we need to realize more in our life is how we step out in faith. Not how we stay in fear inside our four walls, but actually how we complete the mission that God has given us out in the world. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people. Now we're called people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's not the church building, that's the people. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And we can't necessarily bring people inside our amazing structures and buildings in this moment. But you know, church in the park, as we did yesterday, superb. Church on our streets, church in our community groups, church online. We can do all those things. We can train, we can recover, we can be equipped so that we can go out and be the very hands and feet that we are called to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, well, we live by faith and not by sight. See, these disciples, they had been called, they knew their identity, which is to be followers of Jesus, but they needed to move from fear to faith. 
They needed to realize their own limitations in order that they could then take on the power, the authority, and play their part in the kingdom of God, and they could see miracles happen. They could see lives transformed. They could see the world transformed, which is actually what these guys went on to do. People are crying out for the answers to the world. And guess who God has put into the world to display some of the answers? He's put you. And he's put me. But if I live in fear, if I hide, if I run, we never get to play that part. But if we trust, if we live into the calling that God has given us, if we step out knowing who God was in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he can do through his power in the future in our lives, then I promise you, you and I will see things that we have never seen before, beyond even what we can ask or imagine. Fear leads to death. Faith leads to life. Should we pray together? Father, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. 